Hello and welcome to Immigrantly, the podcast that digs into the real, unfiltered immigrant experience in the US and beyond. I am Sadia Khan. I hope all of you are well. There is a lot of trauma, grief, unsettled emotions around us, within us. And I hope that all of us can really lean into our shared humanity, advocate for each other, for equality and dignity for every single human, no matter where they live and what they look like. I also want to welcome all our listeners, old and new, who are joining me in this conversation. Thank you for choosing to click on Immigrantly and to spend time with me. I am so, so thankful for that. Before I begin today's conversation, I just wanted to share an anecdote with you. Now, I have probably mentioned this in my previous episodes, but you know what? This is for our new listeners. As a kid, I was all about storytelling, creating little tales for myself or even mimicking my family to keep everyone entertained. It was cathartic. It was so rewarding. I would just immerse myself into all these different characters, internalize the essence of each. But here's the thing. I was always the star in my scripts. When I came to the US though, I noticed folks like me were usually stuck on the sidelines, playing facilitators to the white protagonists on screen or in real life. But what if we flipped the script and told our own messy, honest, diverse, and totally human stories. Well, as you know, we are doing just that on Immigrantly, and our today's guest is tearing down the stereotypes for actors of color in the West. Supinder Viraj is a Canadian writer and actress. You may know her from her performance as AXA on the Peabody award-winning show, Sort Of, which is in its third and final season, currently streaming on HBO. What is the name of the place that you're staying at again? Seven's got this friend in Nukun. That's where I'm going to start out at. How do you say it? Nukun. You say that slow? New I, I don't know what I'm saying. I don't think I'm putting it right. It's just, it's got a bunch of parks and it's like queer friendly. So it's safe? Yes. Mm. Don't laugh at me, but you have to see the Sound of Music tour. Oh, I did beta, that's Salzburg. <laughs> what? No, they were definitely Nazis. Oh, they were like, you knew. Uh, Mom knows. No, the Bontrags were not Nazis. They're salad. She's also written and starred in her own miniseries, The 410, back in 2019. He was caught with over 100 kilos of cocaine in his truck. He's looking at 10 to 15 years. He's just a truck driver. He's not a drug dealer. Dad! Let's go. If he was really this drug dealer, wouldn't he have all this cash lying around? Do you want me to see what they've got on him? He'll have to call the police. And say what? My dad's in jail and I've got a bunch of cocaine in my house. She's currently starring on a new show called Allegiance, which is slated to premiere on CBC this February. 
the clown is grasping at straws, trying to weave them into some kind of treason basket. Maybe you should reconsider the uniform and everything that it represents. I'd rather fight them inside it to make a change. How do I look? Like a cop. So without further ado, let's welcome Supinda. Supinder, how are you doing? Hey, Sally, I'm great. Thank you for having me. I am so excited to have you here and you look great. <laughs> I did not wake up like this. I had a little bit of help. You still look great. Doesn't matter if you had help or not. That's a compliment to me and 20 other people. <laughs> <laughs> so it seems like you are already having a very busy day today. Yeah, we did e-talk with Sonia Mungeth this morning, which was lovely. It's nice to see so many South Asian women because I, I feel that like we've been in the production vortex for the last four or five months just making the show. And so now that it's coming out and the poster's out and people are starting to react to it, I think one of the things for me that's just been so special is to see all my brown women. It's really cool that this character, you know, forget that it's me, but that just that she exists and that she's there and that, you know, it's for, for now my face is that face. Hopefully there'll be 10, 15 more coming up. And that it's also just not me up there, but in a way, I think the thing that's resonating, it's it's all of us, right? Like we haven't seen our families on screen before. We haven't had that moment to identify with a character and then have to subtract the fact that her skin color is different. And so I think that those things are really neat that we really get to put ourselves into Sabrina because that's how I watch films. I, you know, find a character that I identify with and then go through the story with that character. Sometimes I'm like, why would you do that? (laughs) You're absolutely right, Supinder. But this is not the first character you're playing, right? You've played Aksa on Sort Of. Yeah. You've played Suri in 410. I live in New York and I don't have access to all your shows, but I've been watching snippets of them on YouTube. And I'm really, really impressed with your acting and how you immerse yourself into all these different characters. So when I was watching snippets of Aksa and then I see Sabrina, two totally different people, same person playing them, but very different. And let me tell you this, I watched Allegiance. I loved your acting. But this is probably one of the first cop shows that I watched in a long time. And we'll talk about that, but let's rewind. Let's go back to you growing up in Canada. What was childhood like before acting, writing? You know, it was strange, awkward, beautiful, weird. So I was born in India. And so I moved to Canada with my mom and my sister. My dad was already here when I was four. So in the beginning, you know, it was it was a struggle for all of us because my parents were new immigrants and they were working really, really long hours. And the world was just so foreign. Like I grew up in a bind, right? Like in India, which is like the village. Huh. 
So imagine like coming from that when you're four to a city, not even a city, like we lived in a small apartment complex. I'd never even seen an apartment before. Like I just remember being four years old and trying to open all of the doors of everybody's apartment because it didn't make sense to me that other people also lived in the same unit. Yeah, like life was, I think, but like a little bit hectic as we were all kind of figuring it out and where we belonged. And then the other thing was, you know, people asked me like, how did I come to acting? And I watched a lot of TV. Hmm. Like I remember, you know, coming home from school and my parents were still both at work. And so TV was kind of like my babysitter, my my teacher, my aspiration, like all of those things. And I think that's partially where I got into wanting to be an actor. Then the other thing is, is like, you know, when you grow up in a household where your parents have immigrated, I, I think of like Laszlo's like hierarchy of needs. And what they're focused on is putting food on the table and putting, you know, a roof over your head and shelter. Yeah. So the things like becoming an artist and expressing yourself, like, I think that the thing that also drew me to acting was I don't remember being allowed to express myself in my household. Mm-hmm. Just because with, you know, bless their hearts, they had no space for it. They didn't know what to do with their feelings. Yeah, because probably they were going through so much of disorientation in a way. As an immigrant, I can totally relate to it because initially when we came to the U.S., I was so lonely and so depressed. A lot of times I see kids of immigrants talk about being distant from their parents, which makes a lot of sense to me. It happens to a lot of kids of immigrants. But I feel like as immigrants, we are forcing ourselves or creating that space to meet our psychological needs. And in that process, we almost forget that our kids need us too. And that's, I guess, the interesting irony of immigration. It's by choice, but then there are so many different layers to unpack that people don't talk about often. Mm -hmm. Was your a strict household? I would say yes and no. I definitely realized there was a difference between being a girl in my household and being a boy in my household. And so it was strict around the things that you would think that South Asian parents would be strict around. Like I wasn't allowed to have boys call the house. I remember being in like grade five and I had a boyfriend and he would raise the pitch of his voice when he would call the house to sound like a girl. (laughs) You know, you work around it. But it was interesting because my parents, they got married in 1984 and theirs was a love marriage in Punjab at the time. And so there were things that they were oddly open to in terms of like, I, I did the school play at school and they wanted us to be involved in extracurricular activities. And I think that part of it was that they owned their own business. Hmm. So my mom and my dad opened up a trucking school. And so they had the world come through their doors and meet them and people share their stories, especially because trucking is such an interesting career because it's a second career for most people. So a lot of people that come to trucking have lived a life and then, you know, they decide, okay, I'm done with this one job and I'm going to move into another career. I kind of attribute the people that walked into the doors of that business and they came and they talked about their divorces. They talked about their family relationships. And I think it opened up my parents' world in a really beautiful way to allow them to see a different future for us than perhaps parents who 
come here and they work as accountants or lawyers or doctors and say, okay, now my child has to do this because I did this. Because I remember when I talked to them about wanting to go into the arts, their response was really beautiful. And it was just like, we don't know. They're like, you know, we came and we made our way here and we utilized the resources that we had. And, you know, we went into the industry that people told us was safe. And so if this is what you want to do, go ahead and do it. But we're not sure that we can help you in the way that if you wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer, we know we can help pay for school and all of those things. They were just like, we don't know this industry. But it was kind of nice because they left me alone in that sense. And I think that that's the other thing when you're a children of people who've immigrated, you get left alone a lot. In a good or a bad way? For me, I think it was good because it really helped me find a lot of autonomy in terms of just figuring out like, okay, this is what I want to do. And this is how I would get there. And because they were so immersed in their jobs and trying to make a living, I could hide things from them easier than parents who are a little bit more helicopter and involved. And so for good and for bad, you know, like I I kind of hid this thing that I wanted to do for a while. Like, remember I got a part in a music video when I was in high school and it shot overnight. And I think I lied that it was like a school trip. And then like overnight, just by myself, I went and shot this music video and then went to school the next day because I was kind of figuring it out. Like, this is the thing that I want to do and how do I get to do it? What was the most challenging part of having those conversations with your parents? I think it's going to make me cry, but I think it was their fear. And also, I think in the beginning, there was this want to please them. You know, this want to, oh, like I booked a commercial or, oh, I booked a role in a TV show. And like, I kind of had an idea that it was, you know, it goes like this, right? But it just never felt like now I think, you know, over 10 years of me doing this, it feels like when I watch a show with my parents, with my mom, I, unfortunately, we've lost my dad. And that's hard because he would have been so proud in this moment. Mm. But yeah, I think it was like, I really wanted to be like, oh, I want to do this thing and look, here it is, right? And so in the beginning when you're working and you're booking like a small appearance or recurring and they watch it and they're like, oh, you were great. But it didn't feel like it was almost good enough. Do you think it felt that it wasn't good enough to you and you were probably projecting it on your parents or did they verbalize that feeling? No, I don't think they ever verbalized it, but I think that it was like, can you sustain yourself doing this? And I think that that's one of the most difficult things as an artist, because so often you have to have another job so you can do the thing that you love. Mm. And I think so for a very long time, that was the case for me. And that was the case for my friends. And even now, you know, I still have a hard time being the lead of a show, letting go of the idea that I I need to have a backup, that I need to have another job because you just never know what direction this is going to go in. So I think that that was, it wasn't verbalized on their end, but I don't want to, I don't think it was completely me. I think it was like, if this was a real career, it would be the only thing that you do. And that's not often the case. Talk to me about your first audition. Do you remember what it was for? I have not told this story out loud. I think ever I'm going to tell you the story. So when I first started acting, I had this agent and he was not great. He was somebody I probably found on the internet. 
And he would send me out for auditions, but they were more like cattle calls, not like nobody was like, hey, we want to see Supinder. It was like a bunch of whatever. And it's so interesting how far we've come. Because at the time when I started acting, he was like, I think you should change your name. Oh, wow. To what? Did he suggest any names? No. Unfortunately, he left it up to me, Sadia. <laughs> I might have been better off if he had suggested any some names. But so I was born in September and it started with an S and it ended with an R. And so I decided I was going to change my name to September. Oh, wow. Interesting. I don't even know if I auditioned or they like picked me off of a picture or whatever. But the first thing I went to ever shoot was the show. It was a comedy show and it was called Fade to Brown. And it was a bunch of brown sketch artists that had created this show. I think it might have been a CBC show, but honestly, I can't remember. And so I show up and the director was a Punjabi man and I was playing brown girl number two. And he looked at me and he said, your name is not September. And until you tell me what your name is, you're not allowed on my set. Oh my gosh, I love it. So I said, my name is Supinder. And he said, great, welcome Supinder. And he said, Supinder. The way I would say it. <laughs> yeah, Supinder, <laughs> welcome. But I was so mortified. Why? It was embarrassing, right? Like it was embarrassing for somebody to call you out. It wasn't even my insecurity, right? It was somebody else's insecurity about my name. You're right. And sometimes we do. We try, especially as a minority, whether immigrants, second gen, third gen, we try to cater to somebody else's insecurities, right? Yeah. Rather than ours. We are almost trying to make somebody else feel comfortable around us. The onus lies on us for some reason. I don't get it why it's pretty fucked up, but it does. Yeah. Let me be more um, appetizing or tolerable or make your life easier so I can just breathe here. So I went back to my agent and I said, I can't do it. And oh my God, like I have headshots with me in September. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so anyways, so yeah, I said, I can't do it. And then from then on, I stayed stupender and I'm so grateful for it. I was listening to one of your interviews and you talk about how you went for audition. You had blonde streaks in your hair and the guy or whoever the person was auditioning, they said something like, oh, you should dye your hair black because obviously in their mind, a South Asian person should look a certain way. And you didn't like that, right? You pushed back. Yeah. Why do you think it was important for you to push back then? It was important because that's that was how I was expressing myself at the moment. And I think that, you know, for me, dyeing my hair back to black kind of made me two dimensional. I think I was playing scientist on that show. And I think they very much were like, we want a South Asian girl who's smart and like meticulous and she's a scientist. And for us, because we are lacking in this imagination, this is what she looks like. (laughs) And so for me, it was like, okay, well, you cast me and my hair looked like this. You bought the entire performance. And so why can't I bring another dimension into this character? Why can't she be smart and be a scientist and have all of these things and also have dyed her hair because she's a whole person and she has a life outside of when we 
see her within these scenes. Because I think that like, Aksai was so happy to play because one, I got to keep my hair. And two, she had flaws and she was interesting and messy and allowed to be all of those things. But I feel like so often at the beginning of my career, the characters that I played just lacked a little bit of fullness. And it's interesting because as an actor, like our job is to breathe life into something that's on the page. And so you think you would want that, but not everybody wants it. Yeah. And especially in, I guess, Western psyche, certain ethnicities look a certain way, right? So to expand that definition for them is challenging. And so actors have to push back. Sometimes they are unable to do it, but you did it. And you did it through 410. Looks like he was caught with over 100 kilos of cocaine in his truck. Charges are pretty severe. He's just a truck driver. He's not a drug dealer. Should probably take that out. Look, if something's up, just tell me so I can help you. I can't do anything if you're hiding shit. And I was so intrigued by it, Supinder, because I've heard of South Asians being in trucking business. My cousin is in trucking business. He lives in California. But I never understood the dynamics. And you explain it so well. But there is a personal connection, right? So talk to me about how this project came about, your personal connection. And generally, what was that process like? Because you're almost bringing your personal and your creative essence together. So thank you, first of all, very much. That show means so much to me for so many different reasons. It started with, similarly, because I grew up in the world of trucking, that I started to hear these stories about a lot of Punjabi truck drivers, because there's so many in our community here. There's 60% of truck drivers are South Asian or Punjabi. 80% of them were being inaccurately or like represented at the border for drug trafficking. It was just, it was, it was so prevalent. And I was like, why is this going on within our community? So that, that was sort of the first question mark that was raised. And then I started to look into it. And from my perspective, I really wanted to explore the story of a father and daughter who didn't have a great relationship. And that, you know, he's presented himself one way, she's rebelled. And then it's this catastrophic event that actually brings them together. When he falls off of his pedestal, she gets to be who she is. Hmm. I wrote that story, we shot it. And yeah, it's, it's a show that's near dear to my heart. And then also, so we shot three episodes with CBC Gem. And right now we're working with Vikram Matwani, who did Sacred Games, um, trying to shop the one hour larger version of that show, hopefully for U.S. audiences. Oh, wonderful. I wonder why you chose to lean into that prevalent narrative around truckers and drug trafficking. It was partially because the way that the news presented these men, there was a vilification to it. And I'm not advocating for trafficking drugs or anything like that. But I think my curiosity was when I would see these images of these men, they really reminded me of my father. They, you know, they looked like him. I would see them in court. And there was a discrepancy of, you know, who, who is the real victim here? I had a lot of pushback on that show. I had a lot of negative comments and stuff that came at me after I shot it. And a lot of that criticism was, you know, at the time Trump was president. And he was spewing all this stuff about, you know, immigrants are criminals and they're ruining our country. And part of the criticism for me was, well, here you are, a South Asian woman 
making a show and depicting our community as criminals. And I think in terms of having real equality, why does Marty Bird get to be a criminal? Why does he get to have all of those nuances as a character? Why do we revere Walter White? You clearly don't know who you're talking to, so let me clue you in. I am not in danger, Skylar. I am the danger. A guy opens his door and gets shot, and you think that of me? No. I am the one who knocks. And as a white man, he gets to be that messy and that complicated, and we love him. But if I try to show my dad, all of a sudden, I'm the problem. I love it. And it's so true. And I'm so glad you did that, Zupinder, because a lot of times, minorities in general, immigrants, kids of immigrants specifically, are boxed into this dichotomy of good and bad. Either you're good, and that goodness is defined by Western consciousness, or you're bad, and there is no three-dimensionality to it. As you said, why can't we be those messy, honest characters we exist on a spectrum of humanity and there's always some context behind what people do and why people do what they do. And that is taken away from us somehow. And I'll add to that because the other thing I wanted to explore was I think within the context of our own community, especially as women, in terms of being labeled good or bad, you are good if you are obedient. You are bad if you are disobedient. Yeah. And I thought it was fascinating to explore the idea of what if for this woman to be obedient was to be a bad person, was to be a criminal, to, to help her family and to save her father and to follow in that. You know, I can go on about that show because I'm still developing and thinking about it. Um, and I love those characters so much. And, you know, if you haven't seen it, wait till you meet Nani. Oh my gosh, I can't wait for you to share the show with me because as I said, I was like, how can I watch this show? Like, this is the show that I really want to watch. What gives you confidence in what you do? If I understand something, in terms of acting especially, you know, and going back to Allegiance, part of why I was so attracted to this part in particular was because to some degree, Sabrina loses her father. In the inciting incident, her father's arrested and she loses access to him. And when I had auditioned for Allegiance, I was about, I think, two years after I lost my father. When I can find the thing that makes me connect to the character that I'm playing, where I can say, oh, I know something about this. And then I can just land in my lived experience of it and lend that to the character. That, I think for me, I'm always searching for that thing in terms of what do I know about this experience and how do, how do I bring that heart and the truth and honesty of what that means, you know, to see or to feel that. And sometimes I don't know and you have to you have to wing it. And then I don't feel confident. I just am like, God, I hope somebody buys that because I'm not sure. Legions is an interesting show. At least I watched first episode and I could tell that there are so many different characters and intersectionality, even within how these characters show emotions, right? Of patriotism, idealism, and even skepticism, right? Because it all comes together for minorities, especially staying within systems and structures and enact change or to dismantle those systems and structures and enact change. And that's probably 
something that I think Allegiance will delve into more. So Wanda, what's your favorite memory from making this particular show? There's a question that Sabrina asks Vince in the second episode. And I remember reading it because I think also with Allegiance, like the other jump that I had to make was I have immigrated from my own country. Whereas Sabrina's family has been in Vancouver, in Surrey, in the BC area for generations. And so that was like trying to figure out, okay, what does that feel like? Like, what does that feel like when you, you look a certain way, but when people ask like, where are you from? It's odd because your father was born here and you were born here. And so even though there might be an allegiance to a home country, and for me, there certainly is for Punjab, you know, and I'm digressing here, but like during like the farmers protest, you know, I felt like my heart was there for them that I like I wanted that win so badly. Like, so there, you know, we, we do have these allegiances to where we come from and who we look like and our bloodlines and our language and our food and all of those things. But so there's this moment when Sabrina asks Vince this question and the question was, hey, you know that I'm not white, right? Because she's feeling insecure about these things that are happening to her. And she's she wants to open up this conversation with Vince. And I think it was one of those moments where I understood the difference between Supinder and Sabrina. Because when I read the question in the script, I bawled my eyes out. I was just like, how am I going to ask this question? Me, Supinder, who, when I moved here as a kid, you know, was embarrassed about the way my clothes smelled and and never wanted to point out the fact that I was different because being different was a bad thing. And here was Sabrina with all of her confidence of her family and being here, that for her to ask this question, hey, you know that I'm not white, right? It meant a totally different thing because she had a level of ease about who she is and where she belongs. And then we get into this discourse where Vince is like, oh, I don't see color. And, you know, we get into all those things. And then it's, then it's more of a fun scene to play. But yeah, that was that was one of my favorite moments because for me and Rico, you know, Rico is, is so open um, and he's such a generous actor. And so for both of us, it was really like these two systems, right? This older man, this older white man who has been a cop forever. And it's kind of representative of the system being broken, but in a way that like, it's not callous. It's not for want of understanding. He just doesn't understand. He's never paid enough attention to, you know? And then you have this young cop who comes in and, you know, she's she's got the stink of her father's, everything that's happened around him. She's starting to realize, oh, I am different. And I'm being treated differently for numerous reasons. And she says this question like, hey, you know, I'm not white, right? is brave enough to open up that discourse with him. And I just loved that scene. Have you been able to have that conversation in your personal life now? I, I don't know that a circumstance has come up in that same sort of way. But do you have that conversation with you? <laughs> you know what? I had to have it, I think, when I wrote The 410. I really, because like the, before writing the 410, I kind of had a moment of reckoning, right? Like it was like, I wasn't getting the parts. I wasn't getting the parts. I wasn't getting the offers. I wasn't, I, I wasn't getting the experience to be inside out, you know? And so, and I'll tell you, Sadia, like in terms of ha ha having to have a job to support, 
your career. Like I worked at my parents' trucking school for years and it was the last thing I wanted to write about. It it was, again, it was one of those things like, I don't really want people to know this thing about me. You know, there's so many walls that we put up to protect ourselves from other people seeing us. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that was one of those things because especially with trucking, you know, it's so associated with being South Asian and Punjabi. It's just one of those. And I, it's like, I didn't want to be out about it. But then you owned it unapologetically, right? Yeah. And then I had to have that moment. Okay, what, what makes me me? Who, who am I? What, what am I interested in? What do I want to play? And it's so, it's so nice to hear people, and you haven't even seen the show, but you want to see the show, especially women that are just, they resonate with that story so much because I think that was a moment where I was like, I, I need to be seen for who I am and I can't hide from it. And, I, and I'll tell you, like from that moment on, um, it changed my career and put me on a trajectory that I hadn't been before, which is pretty, pretty awesome. You know, when you stop being afraid of letting people see you. I want to tell you about the HeadGump podcast I think you are going to love. Fake the Nation with Nakeen Frissad is an excellent addition to my list of new podcasts that I'm obsessed with. You may know Nakeen from her TED Talk, from NPR's Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, or her book, How to Make White People Laugh. On Fake the Nation, Nagin and a rotating cast of her funniest, smartest, and most politically astute friends People like Samantha Bee, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Larry Wilmore, and so many more break down the news, make you laugh, think, and deliver a cut punch to humanity. Subscribe now so you don't miss another episode of Fake the Nation airing every Thursday. Find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Supinder, do you have any expectations from Allegiance? Is there anything that you really want people to take away from this show? I think that especially for, you know, like whenever I speak to, like in my experience, the Punjabi community, but I imagine the brown community at large, there's always like, oh, you're an actor. Oh, like, what is, what is that like? What have I seen you in? You know, like there's those kinds of conversations. And I think just to, to, to be up there on a poster, our face, my face, I think that there's a belonging in terms of that representation where, you know, whether you're somebody like Sabrina and you've been here for generations and you haven't seen yourself or whether you're somebody who's come here recently and you look at that poster and you're like, oh, like the Canadian Broadcasting Company, right? CBC is representative of all of the people who live in this country, has made a show about somebody who looks like me. I must belong here. There must be a space here for me. What does belonging look like to you? How do you define belonging? I think it's that like comfort. I think there's a comfort in belonging where you don't have to do that thing. You don't have to change your name. You can, you know, be sitting across somebody at a lunch table and, you know, unfold your roti and your sabji. And you don't have to sanitize your stories. Yeah. Because a lot of times we're expected to do that. Just let's leave all the inconvenient truth, all the messy conversations out. We don't have to do that, right? I hope so. I mean, the messier we can be, the more equal we can be.
What does representation or transformation of it within yourself look like to you right now? I think in terms of transformation, I have a one-year-old son. I'm going to cry. But I remember like being so embarrassed to learn my language or speak my language in public. And I'm now actively teaching Jushin. You know, I made sure he had a Punjabi name, that it wasn't like, you're not going to be a Justin or a David, or you're going to be a Jushin. And without fear, right? Like, I think there's a difference that like when I moved here and my parents were putting us in Punjabi school or at the Khalsa school or those things, I think there was a fear that we were going to lose our culture as their children who were from India growing up here, that there was a fear of losing our identity. And I think what for, for me that's transformed into is a love of who I am and where I come from. And for Jashin, it'll be like, it's, there's not a fear of losing this language, but we love this language. Oh my gosh, you'll make me cry something there. (laughs) (laughs) What does representation in the entertainment industry look like right now, especially in Canada? I think it's changing. I, I really do. I think I'm really hopeful about the content that we're creating. I did an interview with Didi Hood and then I saw that they were promoting Late Bloomer, which is Just Rain's new show. And um, my friend Agam Darshi is on Sight Unseen, um, which is a CW show. And she directed an episode of Allegiance. And so it's changing. There's more opportunities. There's more interest. I think we're moving in a hopeful direction. So the show is slated for... February release, Binder, right? February 7th. We are recording this in January. Can people in the U.S. watch it? Well, hopefully we will um, We will have some information about U.S. international, where people can see the show outside of Canada. But right now it is February 7th release date on the CBC, Wednesday nights at 9. So normally I ask my guests to define the United States of America in a word or a sentence. I'll ask you to define Canada. What I love about being Canadian is that being Canadian feels malleable. You know, I remember growing up in school and being like, oh, the U.S. is a melting pot and Canada is a tossed salad. That's kind of just... We're trying to shift away from melting pot. Not a great descriptor. I don't know why people use it still. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I think there's an assimilation that happens in the U.S. a little bit more so than my sense is that it happens in Canada. I would say that even in terms of our political system, like Punjabi is the third most spoken language within like our political system in terms of MPs and representation. And so I do think that, you know, the people who are diverse, the people of color, the people who are not from this country. There, there's a shaping of this country that I feel is possible here, but I haven't lived in the U.S. Well, this was so good to be there and I'm so excited for your new show. I can't wait. Best of luck for Allegiance. I'm sure it will do really well. Come back on Immigrantly. I want to talk to you about so many other things. Like we could have talked about sort of, but, but we didn't. And I'm sure you'll be doing a lot more shows. So would love to have you again. Oh my God, this is so lovely. Thank you so much for your thoughtful questions and your genuine interest. Like, you're such a good listener. You just have an ease about you. It's, it was so comforting. Thank you very much. 
You know what? This was one of those conversations where I had to hold back my tears. These are our stories. <laughs> this is who we are. This is how we process grief and integration, identity and belonging. A lot of times people will ask me about immigrantly and what immigrantly stands for. This is exactly what immigrantly stands for. Shared humanity, human stories. Our focus is on humanizing communities and identities. I hope you enjoyed this conversation. I hope you check Supinder's work. She's an incredible actor. I have seen her in Sort of, which is a great show. If you haven't seen it, go watch it on HBO. Allegiance, hopefully, when we have availability in the US. And 410. Oh my God. If you want to just watch a snippet of it, go to YouTube and check it out. This episode was produced by me, written by Boba Kafshari and me. The editorial review was done by Shay Yu. Our sound designer and editor for this episode is Hazik Ahmed Farid. Immigrantly's theme music is done by Simon Hutchinson. Come back next week when I bring another incredible story to share with all of you. Take care.